0: The sermon text for today comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, if you just turn the page from 1 Corinthians 14, and we'll start at verse 1, but I'll be preaching starting from verse 3 uh, in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, so the church of God that is at Corinth, with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Second Corinthians 1.3 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction, with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken. For we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us not rely upon ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope that He will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us the prayers of many. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated and allow me to pray as we turn. Lord, you say in Hebrews that your word is living and active, that it pierces our very hearts. Grant that we would be affected by the exposition of your word. Give me wisdom and clarity. Give your church discernment and, and the energy to receive your truth that we would be like the prophet Jeremiah who consumed your words and found them to be the joy and the delight of his heart. Amen. One of the earliest stories of a Christian martyr in the second century involves the Roman authorities seeking out a man named Polycarp. Polycarp was known all over for his zealous Christian faith. And as the guards entered into his house, Polycarp was said to have offered them a meal And prayed at length to their amazement. After they brought him into the city colosseum where he was to be executed. One church historian records that a voice seemingly from heaven declared. Be strong Polycarp and play the man. The Roman officials tried to persuade him to renounce Christ. But he did not. They pressed him saying swear and I will release you. Revile Christ. But Polycarp said this. I have served him for 86 years, and he has done me no wrong. How then can I blaspheme my king who saved me? After he said this, it's recorded that he was overcome with courage and joy, and his face was so full of grace that the officials were amazed. At the constant urging of the crowd, they finally determined to put him to death by burning. And as he stood there on the pyre, Polycarp prayed. He glorified God, full of confidence, Christ's sacrifice, and laid down his life. We hear these stories of the martyrs of the faith from time to time, and I often find myself amazed not just at their faith, but at the peace that they experienced from knowing Christ, even when it meant their death. It causes me to ask myself, do I have that kind of peace? Do you possess that kind of peace? One of my favorite texts of Scripture when it comes to peace and and the comfort that the Christian has access to is this passage before us in 2 Corinthians 1. And if we were to boil down the text into one main idea or one sentence, it would be this. God comforts His people so that we may comfort others as we look to His deliverance. Three parts. He comforts us, and that's the first thing we'll look at, the comfort that God extends to us. So that we may comfort others, what does it look like for us to comfort others? And all while we look to his deliverance. Let's look again to verses 3-4 through as we consider how God comforts us as people. Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction. Paul's opening sentences are a mirror to a traditional Jewish synagogue blessing Blessed art thou, O Lord, our God, and the God of our fathers. But he Christianizes it. The God and Father of our Lord, Jesus Christ. You see, there was a debate going on in Corinth where some false teachers alleged that Paul was proclaiming a different gospel. They tried to invalidate his ministry. They believed Christians were still obligated to maintain the Mosaic law. Do this, do that, then you will be saved. Paul begins this letter by highlighting that he does indeed worship the true God of the Old Testament and the Jews. But he implies further that to truly know the Father, one must confess Jesus as God's Son and Lord. He defends his apostleship back in verse 1 as well as in 1 Corinthians. And here he maintains his commitment to the gospel. What we also pick up on, though, is that while Paul normally begins his letters by thanking God for what he's doing in the lives of the people of the church... Here he focuses on his own personal experience. His experience of being comforted by God. The implication is Paul's just gone through some really difficult circumstances. And the Holy Spirit is leading him here to take all that he's gone through and show us how God offers us comfort in our lives. So I want to highlight three aspects of how God gives comfort to his people. And we'll do that using three all statements. The first, we see clearly in verse 3, is that all comfort is from God. This is the starting point of the Christian doctrine of comfort. God is the God of all comfort. And this is true in several ways. First, true comfort is from Him alone. God is the God of all comfort and that He alone provides true, ultimate comfort. It all excludes any other source of comfort, ultimately. We can't find true comfort in anything on this earth if we're looking to that thing alone for our comfort. If we're honest, isn't that precisely what we do? Day in, day out. Ever since Adam and Eve first sinned, our our souls are sick with sin, and we're looking for comfort in all the wrong places. Our natural disposition is to fill the holes in our hearts with all kinds of little idols. We even take God's blessings and, and, and turn them into our own little idols. The result is that we delight in the gifts far more than the giver. Over the last few years, I've ministered to youth and young adults on a college campus in rural Iowa, on the east coast and the south. i spent some time in China. It doesn't matter where you are. There is a generational identity crisis. All the time, young people are looking for fulfillment in sports, academic success, relationships, social status. And they'll never find peace or a truly secure identity in those things. As, thankfully, it seems like Christian authors are increasingly recognizing this and writing books uh, targeted at the an audience and on identity. But is, I want to ask, is it just the young people that have an identity issue or that struggle in finding comfort from God? We talk about that often. But where do we think that the, the youth got their sins from? As it also, we still have the same kinds of struggles. It may look a little bit different. We think, but we think if we only had a better paying job, or if we are more satisfied by the work that we do, well, oh, then life would be great. We think, oh, if I had the perfect house, the perfect family, then I would truly have peace. Then I'd be comfortable. Only if, I got, if only I got that car oh, that I've been looking at for years. This is a struggle for all of us. We let our vocations, relationships, social status, our hobbies, we let those things become the object of our affection. We delight far more in them than we delight in Christ and the hope that God offers us in the gospel. I love how Augustine puts it, our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. True comfort is from God Alone. I think you know as well as I do, that those earthly things only provide a fleeting comfort. We move on from one to the other and then to the next. Paul also draws a sharp contrast here between our God and the gods of other religions. Those gods have no chance at offering hope. The Greek gods, in particular, if you studied them at all, they were indifferent to human pain. They could care less. They were stoic, much like their' philosophers. They were unknowable, inactive. The God of the Bible cares deeply. He reveals himself to us. He makes himself known. He condescends and actively comforts us. Our God is, as one commentator put it, the divine fount of all consolation to his people. So God is the God of all comfort first, and then we can find comfort in him alone. But all comfort is from Him. Secondly, in that every kind of true comfort is a gift from Him. Every kind of comfort is a gift from God. The comfort that God gives us isn't just a merely pat, pat on the back. You know, It's not a, a passing platitude. Somebody We've all experienced this sort of thing. Somebody comforts us, but not really. We don't, we don't feel that we've been sincerely comforted by that person. The comfort that God gives us, every kind of true comfort is deep. As a psalmist puts it, it, we find Him to be our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. It's not momentary. It's eternal comfort. We always have access to it. Christian comfort is a revitalization of the soul. It begins at conversion, but it continues to give us the strength to endure whatever may come. There are all kinds of comfort God offers us in extraordinary moments, like Stephen, who in Acts 7 is being stoned, and he finds peace in this vision as heaven opens before him. In extraordinary times, God will offer extraordinary comforts. But there are also ordinary comforts. No doubt Paul Paul was comforted by friendship, protection from physical harm, even a good book to help him rest. The earthly things that I mentioned earlier, the things that we tend to find our identity in... That we look to for comfort more than we look to God. Those things often aren't inherently sinful or bad in of themselves. When we're going through a difficult circumstance and we find someone else's words just very encouraging. Or we're overwhelmed and we're just able to wind down by listening to good music. Or we're comforted by a practical meeting being that maybe somebody just gave us a small gift and it made our day. All of these are common graces. Gifts from God intended for our comfort and ultimately His glory. So, so all comfort is from God. But notice, beginning of verse 4, He comforts us in all our afflictions. That's the second all. All our afflictions are covered by God's comfort. He doesn't just offer all kinds of relief. He offers relief for all kinds of suffering. It's probably helpful to caveat this with Paul's immediate context of suffering on account of his faithfulness to Christ and his ministry. And when you suffer because you've been faithful to Christ, that's a special kind of comfort you have access to. Suffering in Christ's name. And commentators generally agree that this is what Paul is referring to. But at the same time, They argue that it probably includes all the sufferings that befall the man in Christ. In other words, it's not just the suffering that we experience for Christ. But there's no situation too dire that a Christian who earnestly seeks God cannot find peace in. Paul describes the hardship he faced in verses 8 and 9. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia... We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. Paul and, and, and his companions felt as though they were going to die. It's not as if they were going to take their own lives, but they, they felt like their life was about to be taken from them. They, they fully expected to die in short order. And it says they, it left them utterly burdened Beyond their strength. In other words, they couldn't, they felt as though they couldn't handle it. The word for affliction there could also literally mean pressure. The pressure was so intense. It doesn't have to be a situation where you believe you're going to die. Sometimes we just feel so much pressure, we have literally no idea how we're going to go on. We lose our job and we can't find a new one. We ask ourselves, how are we going to make ends meet? How am I going to provide for my family this week? We lose our health. This is one that I'm especially afraid of. When we lose our health and and, and we wonder, is this what the rest of my life is going to look like? We might lose a relationship. Somebody dies. Or maybe you're a parent with children are going through such difficult circumstances you don't know what to do you may not even have a relationship with them maybe a romantic relationship comes to an end and you're left wondering can I ever recover from the heartbreak of this situation some of us today may be as Paul puts it utterly burdened beyond your strength and others of us will more than likely face this someday in the future In either case, we must remember the God that we worship is the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our afflictions. No situation is beyond his ability to bring you peace, to draw you near to himself. This is important. Often I'm not going through these extreme struggles. A lot of the time, I just need comfort in the daily grind. Mark this, no comfort is too big for God. No situation is too big for God to be able to comfort you. And no situation is too small. I think sometimes we view the comfort we have access to in Christ as something of an insurance policy. We think, well, I don't want the premiums to go up. I'm, I'm just going gonna, gonna to use it on the really big things and not the small stuff. I'll just pay for the small things out of pocket. I don't, I don't need to commit myself to prayer over that small issue, even if it's affecting me greatly. We think, oh, God will only help me out when it gets really bad. No. No situation is too big or too small for God to give you his peace. Now, the only circumstance we as Christians need to be careful of not having access to that comfort is if we are engaged in unrepentant sin. Consider David's example. He was grappling with the sin that he committed with Bathsheba, taking another man's wife, essentially murdering him and taking her for himself. David cries out, reflecting on that, cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Psalm 51. David was keenly aware that if he continued in this sin, he would not experience the peace relationship with God. It's not as if God removes His Spirit from His, His chosen people, but if we don't change, if we refuse to be conformed to, to Christ's likeness, to let the Spirit work in our lives, we cannot expect to sense His presence, His Spirit working in us. We won't experience that peace. But the good news of the Gospel is if we simply turn to Him, any time, you may have been caught in a sin for years, and you may know no peace, even though you are in Christ and the good news is if you simply turn to him by the power of his spirit you will find comfort there and that leads me to the third and final observation about the comfort God gives to his people it's this all trials are an opportunity for communion with God so we said God is the God of all comfort all afflictions are comfort covered by his comfort And now I'm saying all trials are an opportunity for communion with him look back at the second part of verse sorry look at verse 5 Paul says for as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too notice how Paul began by emphasizing the God of Jesus rather than Jesus as God it's not unusual for him to do this he does it in Ephesians 1 there's a reason for it here The emphasis for Paul is on the humanity of Christ. As the Son of God humbled himself, took on flesh, and assumed our nature, this puts him in a place of dependence on God. Christ himself depended on God the Father, and God the Spirit for comfort in his earthly form. And we are so united to him that we can experience the same comfort from God that he did. Think back to the passage on Uh, on final judgment from Matthew 25 Jesus is referring to the future trials of his brothers which may be us, the disciples, the church and Jesus says this whatever you did not do for one of the least of these you did not do for me and Paul similarly he saw this link when, when on the Damascus Road encounter Jesus declared from heaven Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? The ascended Christ, seated in heaven right now, continues to identify with us in every trial we face in his name. When we suffer, we should never, never think that God doesn't know what we're going through. As the Westminster Confession puts it wonderfully, Christ endured the worst torments in his soul, the most painful sufferings in his body. And this was so that the author of Hebrews can say in chapter 4, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Every trial is an opportunity for us to know Christ more deeply. An opportunity for us to grow in our sanctification. So God comforts His peoples and that all comforts from Him All afflictions are covered by him. And all trials are an opportunity for communion with him. There's a second major point that Paul makes about Christian comfort. We've already said we've been looking at how God comforts his people. Now we see that God's people comfort others. Look back at verse 4. God comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. ...with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. The comfort God gives is not meant to end with you. It's meant to radiate out through us... ...to our brothers and sisters in Christ... ...and anybody around us who will look on the work of Christ in our lives. The first thing we notice about this mission... ...that God has given us to comfort others... ...is that Paul says you are able to comfort others. You have the ability to do this. All of us have gone through difficult circumstances... And and God's design is that those hard times will equip us to minister to our brothers and sisters in Christ. To the people who are suffering around us. Verse 4 doesn't say you're always going to feel able to comfort others. Sometimes you won't know what to say. One time I had to go to the hospital and there was a woman about to go into surgery. And she was nervous because she didn't know if she'd wake up. What do you say in those moments? You don't have to know all the right words. You don't have to have a degree in counseling. Though that may be helpful. The Bible simply says our afflictions make us able to comfort others. It doesn't prescribe a scientific method or a formula to this. But God gives us wisdom. We may feel inadequate. But the spirit that was in Christ is in you. And God is more than powerful enough to work through you. And He tells us right here that He means to. You are able to comfort others. Not only that, but you are called to comfort others. Verse 6 both restates and expounds on verse 4. If we are afflicted, Paul says this, speaking of himself and his companions, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that you suffer. Notice that where verse 4 says we may be able to comfort others, verse 6 now clarifies our affliction is for your comfort. In other words, Paul realized God ordained his suffering for the purpose of bringing other people comfort. That's part of the meaning behind why God allows us to suffer it's so that we will help others who are going through similar trials this also means some of us need to learn to criticize less and comfort more this is the time for you to nudge your spouse (laughs) And, and I also want to mention that God also calls us to comfort people we don't like very much I don't find it all that difficult to offer comfort to my close friends but that person that I don't get along with very well am I really called to comfort them? There's no conditions attached. We're called to comfort. Think about Paul's example. I mentioned at the beginning of this sermon that there were people in the church in Corinth who were treating him horribly. Who were, who were casting doubt on his apostleship and on he, perhaps even his salvation. But he's writing to comfort those people who mistreated him. That church that entertained false teachers and charges that he preaches a false gospel. You might be surprised at the people God calls you to comfort. And that might be part of why Paul adds an extra word this time. Affliction is not just for comfort, but for comfort and salvation. Verse 6. That salvation might mean deliverance from circumstances, just as God delivered me from my trials, so do I believe he too will deliver you. Even if that salvation is Not in this life, but in the next. And we'll we'll get to that deliverance at the end. But another meaning of the salvation that might result from comfort is the the salvation of souls. People entering into a saving relationship with God as a result of our suffering. A wonderful opportunity and example of this is Christian funerals. Where the gospel is preached faithfully. As the unbelievers look on, they think, one day I'm just going to be six foot under. That's the end. And we say that's not the end. There's hope. There's life and eternity. If we know Christ is a life full of goodness and worship, and blessing, hope. In Paul's case, he suffered to bring the gospel to those in Corinth in the first place. It was hard for him to get into that city and start the church. But through his sufferings, they came to know Christ. It's absolutely possible that there's someone in your life, maybe in in this room today, who God will use your testimony as part of the means by which he draws them to himself. And unbelievers will never experience true comfort, true lasting, eternal comfort, until they are in Christ, until they've had faith in him for their salvation, for the forgiveness of sins so they can't experience that true comfort for themselves but they can see it in your life I hope that's the starting point so if we're not only able to be called to comfort those around us but we're called to comfort are we looking for the opportunities that God is putting before us when someone is hurting even tomorrow when you interact with them and you think, oh, I'm just? Wow, I'm so busy. Do I really have time to do this? Who might God be calling you to comfort? Who needs the encouragement? The last thing I want to highlight about our ministry to comfort others is this. We are united to our Christian brothers and sisters in suffering. We're in this together. When we go through difficult times, we develop a deep bond with one another. And we don't have to have both experienced that hardship. But when we make an effort to comfort someone who's going through a difficult circumstance, we go through it together We find ourselves realizing what it means to be the body of Christ. At a, a previous church, there was a man who developed cancer that caused him to lose his hair, and five other men from the church decided to shave their heads along with him. They didn't know what he was going through. but it, They did the best they could to say, we'll stand with you. We feel for you. Our hearts break at what you're struggling with. There's a wonderful picture of the unity of the body of Christ. As Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, if one member suffers, all suffer together. And if we don't feel a sense of solidarity, of, of connection, if our hearts aren't breaking when our brothers and sisters in Christ suffer, if you don't feel anything... What does that imply by your own relationship with the Lord? Your heart doesn't break? What does that imply? We worship the God of all comfort and compassion. It ought to grieve us when our family in Christ is hurting because of the affliction someone is facing. God's purpose is that the suffering in any of His saints' experience would be for the good of us all. And one last comment on suffering the unity of the body of Christ. If you are going through a difficult circumstance yourself, and you might even have been thinking about it today, but you haven't told anybody about it, why not? I've heard the excuse that I'm a private person many times, and it's not a good one for withholding what you're going through from the covenant community. that God has called to care for you. Then reason, I, just, I want to ask and, and gently encourage you, think about sharing that with somebody who cares for you. You don't have to go it alone. God's design is not for you to go it alone. Think about this. God didn't make man and woman to go it alone in a pre-fall world. Even before sin was introduced into the world, we weren't meant to be going it on our own. We we're finite creatures made for community, and how much more do we need it now in this world that's devastated by sin? You might have trust issues. Maybe you've been burned, even burned by the church in the past. I understand. I, 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 my experience is not the same as yours, but I've been mistreated by the church. People are sinners. There is sin in the church. But this is a matter of obedience. God calls us to trust him. He teaches us that suffering is for the good of others. And I can vouch for the compassion and trustworthiness of Pastor Rick, Ronnie. There are other men on, on the session of, of Kirk of the Plains that I know that seem like wonderful men who you could talk to, and I know they'd be happy to talk to you. I'm not telling you you have to talk to someone, but I really am asking, if this applies to you, pray about it. Consider what that might look like. Ask yourself, is there one person that I could confide in? So we've seen that God comforts His people, number one, so that we may comfort others, number two. Finally, this is Paul's last main idea in the text. Verses 8 through 11. God delivers his people. The comfort that we get from God is always with his deliverance in view. And and there are three aspects of God's deliverance that Paul highlights. The first is that God has delivered us, past tense. We need to look back. we We experience comfort as we look back and see the deliverance that he has given us. What Paul says in verse 8 is this. We do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced, past tense, in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. And Paul goes on. But that, the sentence of death, this feeling that life is over, is at its end, I am hopelessly lost and in despair, that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such A deadly peril. That's the foundation of the comfort that we have in Christ. He has delivered us. When has God delivered you? At the very least, for all of us who are genuinely Christians, God delivered us from the greatest peril of all. That sin that we were helplessly enslaved to, that hell-bound trajectory... No circumstance we face is worse than our rebel hearts that were totally opposed to God and hell bound before his spirit broke in. Whatever you're going through, if, if you look back to even that deliverance, you'll find great joy. And over the course of our lives, we experience other examples of how God delivers us and protects us amid, amid our trials. Every one of us has a unique testimony of deliverance. And it's God's design that we wouldn't just look back at our own stories, but hear the stories of other Christians' deliverance, I find tremendous comfort in them. We think back to how God looked on the suffering of people in Egypt in Exodus, and it simply says, He knew. He knew what they were going through. How did God know what the people in Egypt that he was calling himself were going through? Well, He was omniscient. But God had already looked ahead to the sufferings of Christ. That was the the source of justification for any person by faith. And it was in those sufferings of Christ that he would know, even back then in Exodus, all the way back then, what they were going through. God delivers them from slavery and from Pharaoh's army. He delivers Joshua from the Canaanites, and David from Saul and the Philistines. He delivers the prophets time and again from the tormentors, and he can deliver you We have such a rich family history in the church. Wonderful story after story after story of deliverance. Think about how many stories are being told today, being written this week and this month and this year. God has delivered us. Paul doesn't stop there. Look again at verse 10. He delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope, that he will deliver us again. Past tense, he's delivered us, but we look forward to the future. He will deliver us again. We have a promise as Christians, whatever the circumstance is, that God will deliver us again. Even if what we're going through results in our death, we look forward to eternal life with God the moment we pass from this life. That's our hope as a Christian. One which, according to verse 7, cannot be shaken can't lose access to that hope. It is sure. But there may be some who do not have their hope set on Christ. Maybe you realize at the beginning of this sermon that you're looking to comfort in other things apart from Him. I want you to know that if you lack faith in Christ as a son of God who took on humanity, who suffered and died to atone for your sins was risen... Apart from faith in Him, you cannot know this comfort. If that describes you, I urge you to turn from trusting in things that will fade away that are perishable, fleeting things of this life and this earth. Turn from trusting in those. Not, not, they may not be bad things in themselves, but they cannot be your ultimate source of hope. Turn to Christ, perfect sacrifice for your sin, perfect source, this hope. Paul also says the source of his comfort is the God who raises the dead. That's a powerful statement. The the things that we put our trust in do not have the power to raise someone from the dead. God alone raises from the dead. And if we trust in him, we have access in every kind of comfort, every trial. We're equipped to comfort others. We look back and we look forward to the deliverance that he offers us. Finally, God calls us to prayer. As Paul concludes the section from 2 Corinthians 1, Paul in verse 11 says this, You also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. In addition to comforting others and being willing to receive comfort from others, we are compelled to join together as a body of Christ in prayer. Paul says that we actually help or partner with the afflicted when we pray for them. There's a partnership in prayer. Even if we aren't going through the same struggle, when we pray, we're stepping into the trenches. We're going to battle with our brothers and sisters. Our church has a weekly prayer email. A number of churches I've been a part of do the same thing. And I've been guilty of pretty much just overlooking that, just making sure I click that it's red so I'm ticking a box in my inbox. There's a reason, and this is a thing that we ought to remember to make use of. The struggling saints that are making their requests known. A wonderful resource. The thing that we have access to in the bulletin this morning. The prayer request of the saints. That's something we can take home with us and, and pray for earnestly. Paul goes on to say that we pray so that we can see how God tangibly answers our prayers. So that many will give thanks on our behalf. If we pray for one another, we will reap the blessing of God working through our prayers. We'll see prayers answered. We'll be conformed to his will. We'll be shown that he desires to answer our requests. Prayer is part of the means by which we personally realize that God is the God of all comfort. One commentator put it this way. In prayer, human impotence casts itself at the feet of divine omnipotence. Our impotence is cast at the feet of God and His divine omnipotence. We realize, I may be lacking in ability, I Lord, I can't even help this person. I don't know what to do. But he, you are the God of all comfort. I may be lacking in ability, but you're all powerful. You have delivered and you will deliver again. In our weakness, God is strong. So He comforts His people so that we may comfort others as we look to his deliverance we began with the story of Polycarp and asked do I have that kind of peace that kind of comfort that he possessed as he stood there before the flames the answer according to Paul is yes the same spirit that was in Christ was in Polycarp and many men who gave their lives for the gospel is in you I love the words of Romans chapter 8 Lord, anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God and Christ Jesus, our Lord. And as the Heidelberg Catechism wonderfully puts it, what is your only source of comfort in life and death? That I am not my own. I belong with body and soul, both in life and death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Your word that is effective, that is powerful, pierces the hearts and the marrow and the bone. Lord, draw us more and more to yourself today. Mold our affections so that we love you. Shape our minds so that we know you, that we experience that love that, that, that flows from the knowledge we have, the only true God comfort us father even in the small things we recognize we've taken access to your comfort for granted help us lord we pray and we don't simply pray that lord we ask that you would help us help others we know that you say we have the ability we feel inadequate we know you are more than enough help us to remember all that you've done our minds are so easily distracted Call to mind your mighty works in our hour of need. Help us to be men and women of prayer. All of this for your sake, for your glory, ever and ever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.